This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. orchestrate specific marital connections across geographical and cultural expanses to resource his kingdom for his glory. Such is the case with today's guest, Jean and Benedicta Early, as you hear their story of partnership in life and ministry. Think about your own marriage and the reasons God may have brought you and your spouse together. If you're not married, Think about future possibilities of what God may orchestrate for you. In a prior episode, I spoke with husband Gene Early about the role of corporate culture in business success. For a brief recap of his background, Gene is a strategic advisor to global leaders, co-founder of Silicon Valley-based Genomic Health and prior vice chancellor of operations at the University of the Nations based in Kona, Hawaii. Jean's wife, Benedicta, is a social entrepreneur who creates programs and develops leaders for human development training. Her first Christian ministry was Women's Aglow Denmark, where she was a board member, led corporate worship, and was a prayer minister. As a missionary with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, in Kona, Hawaii, she helped develop Crown Child Placement, one of the first international adoption agencies to provide cost-based adoptions from Albania, China, Romania, and Russia. She also developed her global Arise and Shine program for women who wanted to design their future. Originally educated in modern gymnastics, she was a certified swim coach, soccer referee, and trampoline instructor, teaching in the Danish secondary school system. Other leadership roles included being the first saleswoman for jockey menswear in Scandinavia, heading up marketing for the first Nordic company to train hairstylists internationally, and working as an executive coach in the genomics industry in Silicon Valley. She further applied her entrepreneurial gifts to ministry as founder of the Theophostic Prayer Ministry, Genesis Process Change Groups, and Healing Nights Ministries. She also mentors pastors and senior leaders at Grace Covenant Church and is on the leadership team for Prophetic Heart Healing, a growing online community of prophetic prayer ministry. Benedictus Hart's desire is to be all that God intends for her to be. Her prayer is, God, let me live the plan you have for my life. So welcome back, Jean, and welcome for the first time, Benedicta, both of you too, Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership and the Voice of Leadership. So happy to have you today. Great to be here. Great to be here. I agree. Wonderful. And you both have such illustrious backgrounds, and I want to hear the backstory (laughs) and want to jump right in. So, you know, Benedicta, 
I want to hear a little bit about that plan for your life, if you will, when your prayer about God's plan for your life. So you and Jean, I know, recently celebrated your 40th wedding anniversary. So take us back to the beginning. How did you meet? And what was your courtship like before you got married? Well, it was a great courtship. So we met in Denmark and I went to a communications course and seminar where Jean was the teacher. And I thought he was a very handsome teacher. <laughs> so, but I'd been married before. So, and I had a child, uh, a son. And so, you know, I wasn't really dating, but I was definitely sort of looking at, you know, what are the potentials out there? I wasn't a Christian yet. I was becoming a Christian. My mother was very eager in praying for me. So Jean lived in America and I lived in Denmark and we had to kind of figure out who we were and how we fit together. It was good that I knew English because, I mean, a lot of Danes do know English, but I could understand the nuances and what he said and stuff like that. So I was excited to meet him and we started dating after this seminar. I uh, think that that's about it. That's how we met each other. And uh, it was a long distance relationship, but we made it work. Definitely. Excellent. So I know there's always another version of the story from the husband. So, Jean, what would you add to that story? What's your version of how the two of you met? A little bit more details. So like Benedicta, I was not yet walking with the Lord. I'd grown up in a, in a church. My parents were very committed Christians, but I had never had the experience I would say that I actually had a encounter with God, which I did not know was an encounter in which I was just absolutely convinced, okay, I'm ready to get married. I had been married before as well and, and divorced and recognized that that was primarily my responsibility for that. And I wanted to do things differently. I uh, was in the U.S. when I had this dream about this epiphany. And so I was about ready to go to Europe, teaching training in three countries. And I had in mind, oh, I'm going to look, you know. And so I went to Belgium, nobody there. Went to Holland, nobody there. Went to Copenhagen, did this seminar. And Benedict's boss had sent her to the seminar because it was communications. And uh, the second day of a three-day seminar, I saw her sitting in the corner. And I would now say it was a supernatural God-given light around her. There was a radiant light around her, which I could not keep my eyes off of. This is in the closing of the session. So I just kept going watching her, and finally I had to close, so I did. But anyway, from there we uh, struck up our relationship, and it was a year and a half of uh, what I like to say is Benedicta's strategy for making decisions is to say no until she can say yes. We had a year and a half of me pursuing her and her saying no, and then finally, well, we both became Christians in that time, actually. And that's because of her mom, uh, who was the founder of Women's Aglow in Denmark. We went to a full gospel and businessmen's conference, and they were talking on marriage. Uh, we went up to the speaker after he'd finished speaking, and we, we came, kind of told our story. And he looked at Ben Dick and said, what are you waiting for? I mean, his life, that was a convincer. You know, she said, I, I don't have any, any more no's. We just found the first weekend that was free, and uh, we set a time to get married. We did. 
That's an amazing story. <laughs> I actually love that. You know, what's interesting about it, too, is both of you were not yet with God when you met one another, and yet we know that God knows all things. He knows oh, yeah. the future. He knows the past and the present. So he already knew what he was planning for each of your lives and what he was ordaining for your lives. He knew that you would be in his kingdom together, and he waited until both of you were ready in that sense before any marriage took place. And yet the courtship was certainly going on in the meantime and long distance. I think that's pretty profound and pretty amazing in and of itself, how the way that God orchestrates things. And I would say, Jean, in your case, you probably needed to see that glow around her, given all those nose. (laughs) It makes me think of uh, Joseph and Mary and the angel finally speaking to Joseph to say, oh, yeah, take her as your wife, because otherwise the circumstances look like maybe I should just get out of this. So that's wonderful. That's a great, great story. And so you both came to faith, and now you're at this conference, and then the conference leader is saying, what are you waiting for? You've run out of nose. You finally get married. So tell us a little bit about what the early years were like and where were you living? Did you live in Europe or were you living in the U.S.? How was the beginning of the marriage? We lived in Denmark and I had an apartment that was big enough for all three of us. My mother was living on, we were on the second floor and my mother was on the fourth floor and she had a big apartment up there. So there was plenty of space. One of the things that I think this was before we got married, he asked me one night, he said, will you pray for me uh, for salvation? And I said, no, I will not, because I need for you to do that for yourself. You need to make that decision because I don't want you to come back to me and say, well, you made me become a Christian or this was you trying to talk me into it and stuff like that. So Yeah, he got a little offended, but he did. He went and he prayed and asked Jesus into his heart. That made a big difference in our lives. But that doesn't mean that it was easy sailing because we had a lot of habits from not being Christians. And so they had to go. And we also had a lot of internal stuff that we hadn't dealt with. And that was really important for us to make decisions about how we're going to actually live this life. So because we were in our 30s, then we had life behind us. So we had some experience also, both of us having been married before and going through divorces, that we really wanted to talk about how we were going to do this. Because we knew that just getting married doesn't mean that all the problems go away. And I would say far from it, because we came from very different backgrounds. And um, my background was my father was alcoholic. And then Jean came from this nice, really Southern Presbyterian church family. And I kept saying to him, what is it? How are we similar? How are we being able to say yes to here? You come from something that I think is really healthy. And I come from something that wasn't healthy. But then when we dug into it, we found out we were more alike than we were unalike. Yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that because, of course, there's a foundation that God builds a relationship on where the similarity part and then 
there are the differences that sort of add the spice and the richness to the relationship as well. One of the things, Benedicta, you said that I want to dial back to, you said that in essence, you wanted Gene to make his own decision for Christ without you being involved in it. And a lot of times these days, we'll see particularly women who want to marry a particular man and I'll call it missionary dating, you know, trying to get the person saved and then they can marry him. What would you say to a woman in a situation like that, or even a man, but it happens, I think, a lot with women? I didn't want him to please me. I wanted him to really search his heart of where he wanted to be. Because, I mean, I had been married once before, so I knew I could talk him into something and I could pray with him, but that doesn't mean that it would stick. And I really feel like that he had to search his heart is this really something I want to do? Do I really want to give my life to the Lord? Do I want to live this kind of a lifestyle? Do I really want to marry this woman? Because I didn't want to marry somebody who wasn't a Christian. I didn't want him to please me. I had an opportunity, I'd say, Jean, to please God first, mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it became a condition. You know, Vindicta came to the Lord first, and then she said, I'm not going to marry you unless you become a Christian. That took me six months to actually work that one through for myself. But I knew I was going there. I mean, there, it wasn't a question about that. It was just more a question of when. And it was a very timely thing for her to say, I think, because as she was saying, it's like, there's no question in my mind that it was my decision in the end. It wasn't because of her influence directly, uh, certainly indirectly, but not directly. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. You mentioned that this marriage journey is just that. It's a journey. Everything wasn't perfect from the beginning. Even though God brought the two of you together, you had to learn and grow together and so on. And we know that a successful marriage is a mutual learning and growth opportunity. So how would you say that you've each influenced each other in the marriage, in your Christian growth? What have you learned along the way? So um, I remember when I was 14 years old. So I grew up in Australia. I was born in Denmark, but I grew up in Australia. And uh, I was standing in uh, the kitchen. I remember, it. you know, some memories you have that you can just kind of go back to and you know exactly where you were. And I made a decision back then that I did not want to be like my parents. And so that has actually, I still believe that. I mean, it was a, was a very strong I wouldn't say it was a vow, but it probably was close to something like that. And so for me, it is really working on everything that stands in the way of me being able to be all that God created me to be. And trust me, there is and was a lot. Jean and I had to agree on how we were going to move forward, the foundation of how we were going to commit, because I'm still committed. So I'm 75 and a half. So, you know, I see my healing journey just going on and on and on. Maybe I'll be 100 and I'll still be doing it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really committed to moving away the obstacles to really move towards God in a greater way. 
That's an interesting point because what you're saying, one of the things that's part of the journey, first you made a decision about what you didn't want in a sense. And so you're moving towards something else. And then you recognize that you had to be in a continuous space of learning and growing. And people don't always think about this, removing the obstacles, you know, that stand in the way so you could progress and move forward. So thank you for that. And so Jean, what would you add? What would you say that you've learned in the relationship? What's been your experience as the two of you are growing together? I think one of the things that stands out is just the the commitment to grow in an awareness of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, who God the Father is. We were really fortunate to be discipled by uh, a number of very powerful prophetic ministers who came to Denmark and who Bendix's mom hosted for Women's the Glow. We got to live with them basically when they were there. And so we would pray with them. They would prophesy over us and whatnot. And so we just came to expect that the Holy Spirit was always present. And so pursuing the Holy Spirit, who is the truth giver, has been key to that journey. And with that, I would also say we both have prophetic gifts, but they're different expressions. And one of Benedict's expressions is that she is always ahead of me. She's two to three years ahead of me in terms of having revelation of what God's saying. And that had just been so powerful for us in kind of navigating our journey. So we were in Denmark. Um, we had a very successful business. Question was, do we grow the business or do we do something else? We prayed about it and we said, well, what are we going to do? And Benedict said, I'm going to research. So she found three different Bible schools we could go to and um, kind of laid them out there. We decided to go to Hawaii to Youth with the Mission. But that was her prophetic gift taking us there. And it was time after time. Um, I did my PhD in Oxford and we were there. And when I finished, it was like, we can go anywhere in the world where we want to go. And God spoke to Ben Dixon and said, San Francisco. She had no idea what San Francisco was. I mean, she knew it was a city, but she didn't know what it was. It was actually the Bay Area. And that's how God got us to Silicon Valley to, you know, all you know the experiences that we had there. When we were there, I remember we were driving down uh, Interstate 280, which is this is beautiful drive in Silicon Valley. And she said, you know, I, I believe God's saying you and Randy are going to do a, a, create a business together. Randy is Randy Scott, who became CEO of Genomic Health, who at the time I was working with um, as a consultant with Insight Genomics. And then later on, as she said, we had fallen in love with the Bay Area, with Palo Alto. She said, no, God's saying we're going to move to Harrisonburg. Harrisonburg? Where's Harrisonburg? Harrisonburg in Virginia. Virginia? No, no, we're in Palo Alto. Anyway, she was right. He was right. And we are blessed, immensely blessed to be here in Harrisonburg. So that's one of the things I'd say. I'm really glad you brought that story up about Harrisonburg because I really wanted to get to that a little bit too. Because Benedict, I know that you went there because of your grandchildren initially. And it sounds like there's been this prophetic leading in your life all along that really takes the two of you to different places, which requires a tremendous amount of trust on your part, Gene. And since you don't specifically have that 
uh, gift in the same way that your wife does. She gets it first. She gets, just yeah. like, again, Mary got the message first about baby Jesus, right? So, so Benedicta gets the message first, and then God will show it to you ultimately, and as you're moving and walking in that way. So say a little bit more about that, Benedicta, how God speaks to you in these situations, how you knew that it was even time to go to Harrisburg for your grandchildren. Well, we had one grandchild at that time. I didn't know that we were going to have three grand boys. I mean, they were, you know, big budding boys now, and they were just little bitty ones back then. It's like, but how do you know you grow older? Well, you look at your grandkids, right, or your children. I like the quiet time, and God, I often can sit in bed if I wake up like, you know, 5.30 or however uh, it is in the morning and don't want to really want to get up, but I am awake. And I just talk to him, meditate, just quiet. And then he starts speaking. So, yeah, that's how I do it. It's really simple. And then I trust that I'm hearing him. Because I think a lot of people, they don't trust that small, still voice that's inside. But when you do it on a regular basis, you, you kind of get to know because it isn't loud. God doesn't uh, shout, you know, but it's that nudging and you just know what that nudging means. And that means that he has a plan and he's asking, or he was asking me when I get it, are you going to follow? This is of me. Do you want more of me than trust me? It just reminds me of when we first came to Harrisonburg, we had bought a house and we were remodeling it. Look, honestly, I didn't even know how to put a nail in a wall, but I became the general contractor for the um, for the remodel. But then one day the Lord said, I want you to drive up this road. So I drove up and it was on top of a hill. And he said, you're going to live here one day. And so what I started to do, I took him at his word and I started to park up there. And then I walked on that street praying for a house for 10 years. And then we did get a house. We um, ended up pulling it down. And we're now in the midst of building. We're, we'll be pretty close to being finished soon. But it's those, it's the small nudges. And when we're obedient to his word and what he nudges us to, things happen, even though it takes years sometimes. And it is about developing patience. I really like this, some aspects of the story that you're unfolding, the fact that God speaks, and if we're listening and we follow what we're hearing, he gives more revelation is what I'm hearing as well. And when you know it's him speaking, don't worry about how long it's going to take. You you prayed in faith, walking up that hill about the house for 10 years, and now the house is becoming a reality at this time. So I know a lot of people in the audience are probably thinking to themselves, yeah, um, I think I'm hearing from God, and how do I know if it's really God versus my own voice? And we know that Jesus said, you know, my sheep know, you know, they know my voice. How do you distinguish between what God is saying in that still moment versus if it's just your own thought? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. First of all, it, it always comes with peace and it's not overpowering and it doesn't feel like that I need to be saying yes to it. It's not like God is pushing in for me to say yes. It's like me coming to him and saying yes. 
I don't I don't know how to explain it, but I am entertaining God. This is you, God, and I want to follow. And then what I do is I absolutely test it out. Because when it is God, and that's when patience comes in, because I always had long-term projects. You know, I can wait eight years for something. I can wait five years for something. You know, it just is. And so that's how God talks to me. Other people, they um, hear and then it happens very fast. But for me, it's like, okay, it's that trust. I trust you, Lord, even though I... So there were five houses for sale on that road and hardly any houses come for sale. And each time I was the first one there because I knew about it because I walked on the street and I saw the signs. And every time I said, Lord, is this this house? And he said, no. I was like, oh, my gosh, okay. <laughs> so five times. So this was the sixth house that came up for sale. And I said, okay, Lord, is this of you? And um, it was. It was the one house on the street she did not want. This I got sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, I said to Lord, oh, but not that house. It looks so sad. Well, the good news is he's transforming it, building a new house. <laughs> you know, is claiming the property for God, but is a new house. <laughs> like right. and in the same way, we're new creatures in the sense you got a new house <laughs> on the old spot. Well, he did speak to us, he, and what he said was, you know, I'm calling you to redeem the land. And so this was this has been a, a significant prayer project for us, praying over the land once we decide to take the house down, and then praying over the house as it's being built. We we talked to four different builders and including an architect builder, and God was just very clear. Again, it's Benedictus uh, in tune with him. He spoke to Benedictus and said, "This is the one." And we we have gone through a series of challenges together with him you know because god spoke to us that it was him those challenges we never questioned his leadership in in the project i think that's an important point it reminds me when the apostle paul was going to rome ultimately and he was saying goodbye to all of his friends uh, in the book of acts before he gets there all kinds of prophets came and said if you go there, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. He already knew it. He knew that those things were going to happen. He also knew that that's where God was calling him. So he was willing to go even in spite of the difficulty and the challenge that he would face in taking that journey and being obedient in that situation. And I think sometimes in the United States, especially, we are very much looking forward to what I'll call the comfortable Christianity that doesn't cause any pain, doesn't cause any difficulty, and that's not particularly dangerous, and so on and so forth. And that may not always be, you know, God leads. That's true. It's, I mean, it's really a faith journey. One of the things that I think in our Christian walk together has been developing trust in the Lord and to be able to act in faith when he speaks. And so that's where the obedience and the patience and all that comes in. But I would say that this, the building of this house is the biggest faith journey we've been on. He promised us that he would, that we would have no debt in the house. And it is a big house, which is, we, we're clear that we're stewards of the house. This is, we would never have built a house like this in our own thinking. But he has purpose and plan for it. We're very clear on some of those plans that he has for it, but we know that there'll be even more. But yeah, it's uh, it's really the stewardship of 
his word, which then manifested in the natural world. And that house is is a picture of that. And you're also saying that you don't know the entire picture at the beginning. He no. shows you next steps, but not the whole journey. And that's where that faith and trust come in as well, to be able to take the steps that he is revealing and what he's showing at the time. As I think about this whole notion of, let's say, iron sharpening iron in marriage, I know that there are challenges as iron sharpens iron and there's friction along the way. What have been some of the challenges that the two of you have gone through and successfully navigated together? What does it take, in other words, to be married for 40 years? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the back question. Takes a lot of patience, that's for sure. And also commitment is another thing because I think that often people, they come up against uh, barriers or, you know, they have problems in their marriage and then uh, often they're quick to end it or to live apart or to, it's like that instant soup thing. Luckily, I come from a background where it is that you, you had to go, you, you bought the bones and you bought the meat and then you made the soup, right? So I know that it takes time and Jean and I, I mean, you name it, and we've had the challenge. I, I, I don't know. Can you think of one particular? Yeah, well, I, I, I kind of started at the beginning of our our marriages. She's Danish, and I'm American from the deep south or the mid south, and um, that cultural conflict was significant. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like two worldviews that are just radically different. So one one example was we. My contention is that Danish people who I love and who are incredible, hospitably oriented people, they believe they're right about everything. <laughs> you know, there is a right way to do it. And I know what it is, right? Well, I come from a very different world or, you know, much more flowy, much more open-ended, um, not so convinced that you're right that was a really tough one I had to I had to deal with uh, with Vindicta because early on in our marriage, she still believed she was right on everything. We had this one night where we had this really kind of intense argument, so much so that I slammed the door and I saw the paint pop off of the door. It was that it was that intense for me. And I, I went out and I said, I'm going to walk until I forgive her. <laughs> and I, I walked for an hour and a half, and an hour and a half, I'm like, okay, I've forgiven her. Now I had to walk back, right? So it's another another hour and a half back. So that was a really powerful experience for me because, I mean, forgiveness is foundational. But until you have the lived experience of something that's that's real for you, you know, you kind of think maybe it's more of a mental ascent thing. This was not. This was a whole body forgiveness. And it was like it took that intensity of cultural conflict to really bring it to, to the fore for me. So I would say that was that was certainly one of the early conflicts that we had. That's a good one, because when we think about business, we know that cross-cultural issues often get in the way there as well. And sometimes different people don't even understand that they're saying something completely different using similar words until they unpack it a little bit more. Right. So cultural differences can really be 
game-stopping in some respects, unless you have the commitment that both of you mentioned, you have the patience, and you stop and do the unpacking, and along the way, forgive each other as well, because nothing's going to be perfect, no matter what the situation is. So as you both look back at how God joined you together, what would you say is the divine wisdom that you see and how your relationship was crafted and chosen. And let's hear a little bit more about, Gene, your spiritual gifts that you've brought to this relationship too. Well, I mean, one of the things that clearly God's given me is the gift of encouragement in so many ways. He's given me a gift of being able to see the essence of who people are, which has been core to all of my professional work, but it's the whole of my life. And so I would say that gift of being able to see what's there that maybe is covered up or or is not being fully understood by different people. One of the things that I've been very encouraging to her about is just the gift of who she is and how she shows up is she's very powerful in, in her influence on other people, but she's also very Danish. This is another aspect of the culture is that they have this thing they call Yanta law, which means you cannot think you are anybody. You cannot be better than anybody. Don't think you're somebody, you know? And so, of course, that's like, that's the, the, the tall poppy syndrome, you know, where if you're a tall poppy, you get cut off, right? You can only be so high. And so coming to America, that was not something that she ever wanted to test. So my encouragement is, hey, you know, you really have these gifts and talents. You need to own them. No, 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 I don't. No, 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 I don't think so. You know, anyway, I've been able to do that with her and I'm very much oriented toward ideas and conceptual things and where she's very practical. And so together we we make a great pair because I can help her structure. For example, when she's speaking, we'll sit down and, and work together on how she structures what she wants to say. I mean, it's all of what she wants to say, but it's just how do you structure it? And so that's another piece of what I bring to the table. Excellent. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. One thing about your relationship, and you've both alluded to it a little bit, is that you're both deeply committed to the healing journey. Tell us a little bit now, what does that mean to you? How does the healing journey show up? Now we can actually sit down or probably the last many years, really, yeah. You hear so often that married couples, they argue. Well, we did in the beginning too, because we came from, even though we both spoke English, we came from very different backgrounds and beliefs. So we had to culturally figure out our own culture. And what does it mean when you say this in this tone and all those kind of things, right? So it's really distinctions about what is happening and how do we figure that out? So We've gotten really good at talking about what does it mean for you when you say this? So it's not just the words. It's really the meaning is the feeling behind the words. So it gets a little, you know, that's where you have to have a cup of tea and you have to have, well, we don't drink coffees, but um, for people who drink coffee, yes. But, you know, explaining what does that actually mean for me when I say these kind of things? So understanding um, that, which is a totally different culture, because it's the internal culture that you don't see and hear. But there's always a reason why we're doing what we're doing. But when we don't explain it and don't ask, 
then we don't really think about it. We just think, oh, I was in a bad mood or I was this, that and the other, right? But here it's like we, Jean and I, we really figure out what's going on with yeah. the, with the, with our partner. You know, I love what you said because it's like you're, you're creating your own collective culture together. You're both bringing some pieces, but you're creating something new that's joint, that's shared. And because of the intimacy that you have and that you're building, you take the time to figure out what different things mean to each other. I think that's a very powerful dynamic for having a strong and a, a vibrant marriage, actually. Yeah, one of the things I would say about that is that part of that shared culture is that we both naturally, but also through our kind of professional training, have focused on what we call the structure of experience. So what is it that's underneath the words you say, the behavior you do, the nonverbals? What is what has to be true in order for you to say that or what has to be true in order for you to feel that? And with that comes this responsibility, which for me, the the orientation was, it is my definition of what, uh, how I knew I became an adult. And that is, I had this revelation, which I'm sure God gave me, which was, I'm responsible for everything I think, everything I feel, everything I say, everything I do. And so if she does something and I feel something, I am responsible for that feeling. I can't put it off in her and go, oh, no, no, it's your fault. Even though I may try to do that sometimes. I do come back to it. And we ask that question, what what has to be true? The other thing I would say is that's part of our love language is we spend hours together. We One of the favorite things we do is get in the car and drive up to Northern Virginia to, to shop. And in those two hours, we never have a quiet moment because we are just so engaged with one another. And it's all about you know, this, this structure of experience. I love the fact that, you know, there's the deeper part that's behind just what you see on the surface and being willing to mine for the gold, to go beyond just the surface level of the ground to see what's there. It's what makes a marriage vibrant for many, many years, because you're not going over and getting the same one little gold nugget every time. There's a lot of gold in there and you can mine for a lifetime and not exhaust it if, in fact, you are explorers in the way that, that you guys are sort of unpacking and talking about. I also know that relationships in general and community are both really important to you, whether it's in the church or more broadly. Tell us a little bit about community, how it's important to you, and how you live out those relationships and community commitments. Well, I live it out. First of all, I have good friends that will communicate with me if I'm a little bit off or if, you know, they're, they're truthful. So they don't lie or they don't push over something that should be talked about i think that that's a good thing so that's a lot of one-on-ones and then we're part of a um, very intense small group that we also give each other feedback and we experiment on on different things and there's only six of us we travel around and the person who's hosting it's their house so that we get a lot of different varieties about what people are thinking and what they're going through and then we all talk about it so it's it has a lot of flavor and um, it keeps it new and fresh and then i have uh, groups at the church 
and also with uh, I speak or I see a lot of the the past or all of the pastors and also the leaders of the children's ministry and worship and worship leaders and anybody who has something to say at the church and then that way I also get a lot of feedback a lot of new thoughts a lot of my own thoughts that I go and meditate on and also with this online uh, prophetic heart healing where it is that they often take me to the limits because I have to teach on things that I really, you know, I, I mean, I know, but I have to dig deeper. So there's a lot of challenge, which I welcome because I get challenged and I grow. I love that. I really do because otherwise we're in the Christian community here anyway. You know, people are um, tend to be a little bit more protective of themselves so then it's finding a group and people that will be, you know, come alongside of you and really like make you a better person really is what it is. Mm-hmm. Challenge you to do things that you are maybe shying back on. And I'm not so keen on teaching things that I don't really understand, but I get to understand them. And then I feel really different about myself because I've met a challenge. What I'm really hearing too, Benedicta, and what you're saying is it's kind of like punctuating what the Bible says, that this Christian life is lived in community. We're not lone ranger Christians in a sense, whether it's with the small groups that you mentioned with the married couples or the online group or wherever it may be, we're living the life together, including the two of you. It's just a couple in the marriage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really powerful is to acknowledge that so many times as Lone Ranger Christians, that's where the enemy gets in and picks off the little lamb by himself, you know, that's not connected in community. That's right. One of the things I'd say about that is that that we have, over the last two years, we have developed groups of prayer ministers uh, in the church that we have kind of created 10 or 12 people on two different groups. We have this senior leadership group that we lead. And so we basically take our professional skills, combine them with our ministry skills, and really challenge people in the church to join the healing journey for themselves. And one of the things that I've noticed is that because we've been doing this for quite some time, and particularly with Benedicta's mentoring of the the senior leadership, we have access in the church to actually transform the community into a much more responsive, engaged, and safe community because people protect themselves when they don't feel safe. And one of the things that we've seen is that as people get to know themselves better, that's both psychologically and spiritually, they become safer. And when they're safer, then the people around them are safer and the whole church begins to to actually move in that direction. We see just a, a real tremendous growth spiritually in the church. And I I would attribute some significant amount of that to us in our involvement with the leaders in the church. You know, actually, I have quite an interest in what you're talking about right now, because in my own church, I'm the prayer ministry leader. And what I see as a vision that is before me is how to create and grow those cells throughout the church. Mm -hmm. We have a small church and it's just one official prayer cell at this time. But I see additional ones in the future. So delighted to hear that you've already 
gone far down the path on that journey. I can learn something from you along the way as well. So I'll be following up to talk about that a little bit more. I just want to make one little comment here, and that is I do uh, an online where it is. It's, it's a heart healing process, and it's all on Zoom. And I have realized that the prayers that are prayed on Zoom are as good as they are when you're in person. Absolutely. In fact, the prayer ministry that I lead every week, it's on Zoom. We That's how we do it. And it makes it possible really for more people to participate. Exactly. Yeah, that's absolutely. Exactly right. I'm Zoom. all for it. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to do Zoom. Mm-hmm. Come on. It is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I can say this as a group. We're almost like a small group and small group cell. We have each grown exponentially since participating in the prayer ministry. And so, yeah, I understand what you're talking about and what you're saying. So thank you for sharing that bit as well. What would you both say is next for your marriage, for your family life, your ministry, your journey together? What do you see out there on the horizon that God may be beginning to birth or to do? I feel like the Lord is wanting me to lead more and also to actually write. Look, I'm not a writer. Gene's the writer. He is fast on the computer. I'm like amazingly slow. He's got lots of words and I just have simple words. But together, we can actually do something because I have ideas and I have thoughts and stuff like that. So God has joined us together in that way. But I'd really like to do more for women, also for couples. But women are something that I'd really like to pour into. Mm -hmm. And just to do something simple, but something that really where people can just know how much God has put in them because I think that today people are so busy it's always busy 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 so just to be able to really get in touch with who God created you to be just something simple it could be meditation it could be the prophetic heart healing that I do it's really all about a prayer And then it is a memory where it is that you felt joy and appreciation. And so you get that memory and then you see Jesus in the memory. And so what it is, it's really relationship with him and very, very unique relationship people have with the Lord and so much more intimate. And people walk away uh, and then you ask questions, right? So it's a little bit more complicated or um, complex. But they walk away and they know that Jesus interacts with them. It's not just a Jesus. You know, Jesus in the Bible, he did a lot of different things, right? He was interactive with people. And here, often I notice that people have Jesus in the Bible, but he stays in the Bible. And here we take him and invite him into the memory and notice where he is and what he wants to say to us. Or invite him into the present. You know, in our current lives, you know, to reveal what we may need to know today. That's mm-hmm. also important. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. For me, one of the things that has just been so powerful from this joining in the prophetic heart healing is that that I've learned how to travel in the spirit. And that has been so absolutely amazing because 
I mean, kind of a, a real ambition that I've had has been to, for years, I mean, my whole interest in leadership has been recognizing that that as leaders tap into their fullest potential, that they they create uh, really positive change around them and in the systems in which they they live and function. And so in my experiences of encountering Jesus, he's taken me incredible places to meet incredible people. And it's one of the very common things that he said, okay, I, I want you, to, I want you to lay hands on and pray for this person here. So I do that. And he said, okay, that's it. And it's like, all he's asking me to do is to pray for him in a particular way. He's not asking me to change them. He's not asking them to change. He's every time that I, I can remember now, it's been, he's been wanting to give them an option. These are global leaders and I'm just stunned that I could have such peace at not having to see them any different than they were. And to understand that Jesus is changing me by those prayers. I mean, I've had interactions with global leaders who I really judged harshly. And coming away from those prayer times, I no longer judge them. And that is quite remarkable. Along with, you know, he's taken me to all kinds of other kinds of locations interacting particularly with men and just being part of the spiritual reality in places around the world and so the, the kind of the recognition that i don't have to physically travel to africa even though i've done that quite a lot or to south america or to asia i don't have to do that in order to bring transformation i can go and i can travel in the spirit when i go with jesus i mean my goodness what better way to travel right that's been transformational for me. And I, I just, if I think future, I see more of that. Yeah, that's really amazing what you're talking about. Jesus says, God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that spirit part may have uh, more meaning than we often infuse it with, because God is a spirit and is not limited by walls or any of these other barriers that we see around us every day. And I love the fact, Gene, that you talked about how prayer changes us, that the one who's doing the praying, and that's why it's so important, because those who we may think are enemies, we may see them differently after we pray for them, not because they've changed, but because God has done a work in us. I also believe, too, that as we pray for people, and the way I put it this week in a message I put out was this, you might not see what's growing yet beneath the surface, just like with a plant, and the plant is watered, but those tender shoots are growing under the soil, and they're growing long before you can see them. So we also don't know how our prayers mixed with what else God is doing to make a difference in people's lives. So there's also that as well. So thank you for sharing that. And let me ask this, how can people reach you? How can they learn more about your ministries? How do they? Uh, I've got an email, B-E-N-E-D-I-C-T-E. So it's uh, benedicta.early, like in the morning, E-A-I-L-Y at Mac, M-A-C.com. Yeah, and for me, you can do say, email gene.early at gmail.com. And also LinkedIn is probably a, a good place to go. I put a, a fair number of writings on LinkedIn and also have ebooks and books in Amazon. 
Thank you very much. And thank you for saying the emails out loud. We'll make sure that they're also in the show notes for this episode as well. I'm going to ask you to share what additional words of wisdom you want to leave for my community of corporate executives. And also in your case, if the Lord leads you, if you have a word of encouragement for those who are thinking about their marriages right now, or maybe even those who are looking for a spouse and don't have one yet. So feel free to comment on both or either aspect today. So, I mean, one thing that I would say, I have friends and a client who been married five years and she was significantly questioning whether or not her husband was in fact meant for her. And my comment to her was, uh, you're trying to assess that. But the real question is, who is the essence of who he is? And she has come back to me and said, I can't believe the difference that question has made in my life. My husband and I have been having conversations we've never had before because we're both doing that now. We're both looking at the essence of who the other is, and that's the basis on which we're talking to each other. So I would say for any couples that are in are having challenges, you know, look beyond the behavior, look to the essence and uh, be transformed. The Lord is with you. If you're married, you know, he knows it and he intends it to work. So that's your responsibility to make it work. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I would just say to take responsibility for what you say and do and how you behave. Really, that is, and not, uh, I, I mean, I came from a background where it is that it was dangerous actually to uh, take responsibility. And so because, you know, you never know what would could happen afterwards when you have a father that's alcoholic. But Gene has, in his very soft and gentle way, uh, he has taught me that I need to really take responsibility and it's okay, it's safe to actually do that and to say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I did, this is how I'm, you know, put together and stuff. So, yeah, to take responsibility. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for being with me on the show. I really appreciate it. Great being here. Thank you so much. So we will close out today with a scripture reading that comes from Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the first verse. And it says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. So to everyone out there today, remember to walk in love in your marriage, in your relationship. Be imitators of God. Be like Jesus Christ himself, who offered himself up as a sacrifice and a sweet aroma to God. We have the occasion to do that every day in our work relationships and also in our marriages. So may God bless you. Terrence Chapman is the president and CEO of Victoria's Family, an organization committed to family discipleship and transformation. Today, he's here to talk about a special celebration event taking place on the 19th of April. Terrence, tell us all about it. So good to be here. You know, do you think the family is in crisis? Well, on April the 19th, at the World of Coca-Cola here in Atlanta, Georgia, 
we're offering a very distinct experience dinner and gala. We're going to have great speakers, great entertainment, great celebrities will be there. But more importantly, we'll be casting the vision around family transformation and what it could look like in your home. Join us April 19th at the World of Coca-Cola here in Atlanta, Georgia. And what's great, Terrence, about what you're saying, this is for all of us, those of us in business, those of us in pastoral leadership, those of us in family leadership, you want all of us there. All of those who have a family or part of a family, you're invited. All right. So give us the website information where people can go to sign up. Go to victoriousfamily.org slash take the next step. Excellent. See you there. See you there. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.